welcome here. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Roberta, and call me Robbie, Bob's, whatever you want. And I know you're wondering who this guy is. You're like, we know who you are, but who's this guy? This is my husband, Mark. He's the youth and young adult pastor, and we're just so excited to have you guys here tonight uh, as we continue our series, Welcome Home. Uh, we just want you to know that you don't have to believe what we believe to belong here, and we're, we're all about Jesus here, so as we speak through the Bible, um, that's kind of where we're coming from, but we're so glad you joined us. And today, we're continuing our series, Sex with the Lights On, and we're talking tonight about marriage and commitment. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, I'm single. This doesn't relate to me. But this is amazing stuff to know before you actually get married, <laughs> before you actually get on the train. It's going to kind of good to know how to get on the train. Uh, so we're just going to go through that. And it's really interesting because in today's society, marriage, commitment, it's kind of seen as old-fashioned, right? Like as a society, we're too sophisticated for marriage and commitment. Uh, you can't just be with one person your whole life. That's impossible. You got to, you know, understand that you change. And you got to change with people. You can't change with people. You got to be with a different person. So we're just excited because we believe that God wants the best for your marriage, the best for your relationships, the best for your sex life. And we just really want to speak into that. Sorry, I'm, is this on? Are we good? No. You can hear me through the mic? Yeah. Oh, crazy. Sorry. I'm so distracted by how the bumper didn't play music. <laughs> we just didn't acknowledge it. I, d I said you silent dancing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Don't worry. This is his first time up here, guys. Give him a hand. I'm, I'm, He's I'm new to this. I'm new. He's not used to it like I am. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> start over? Say your thing again. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So um, it's really interesting. So we're talking about marriage, uh, commitment, that kind of thing. We were actually looking up some stats, and we found out 50% um, of all marriages end in divorce. I think a lot of us know this statistic, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that's inside and outside the church. So, like, that's Christians, too. People who are like, man, Christians don't get divorced. That's Christians, too. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And then it goes up to 73% for third marriages. Uh, over 85% of people getting divorced are 18 to 30-year-olds. So that's us. We are 80, over 80% 80 of people getting divorced. The average length of time people spend married before they get divorced is eight years. Um, and the average, this was crazy to me, the average person thinks about divorce for two years before going through with it. So it's not like people just wake up one day and they're like, I'm done. It's like it's two years of not communicating, of, of not walking through some stuff. And this is crazy as well. A third of marriages experience infidelity. So that's someone cheating on, on their spouse. And so with these statistics, with this data, it's no wonder more and more people are opting out of marriage altogether. It's no wonder that our view, our understanding of marriage as a society is just completely changing. You know, most people nowadays think you should only be married as long as you're happy. As long as you feel good about it. As long as you're happy, then stay married. And once you're not happy, end it. Move on to something else. Roberta just the other day was telling me about new vows that people are writing. So at one point, people would say, we're going to be married until death do us part. That would be their vows. And now they're saying, I'm going to be married to you as long as I love you. And of course, that's an easy out because love is fleeting. The emotion of love comes and goes. So this kind of what this tells us is that falling in love is easy, um, but staying in love is what's hard. And so I just want to kind of put a disclaimer out here really quick. Um, 
And that disclaimer is that we understand that there are people here who've experienced some broken marriages, there's been broken relationships. If it sounds like we're making blanket statements, it's because we are. Uh, we don't have time to speak into every issue, every possibility. We understand that people have experienced, you know, someone walking away from you, cheating, abuse, and we're not, we can't get into all of that. So if you do have more questions on these things, we're actually just gonna throw a number up. Is my mic off? Am I no, it's on. Okay. Um, we're just gonna throw a number up on the screen, and so feel free to text that in, because in two weeks, we're actually having a panel come in of people who are experts who are going to actually answer some of these questions. So if you have more questions about that, feel free to uh, text that in if something comes up while we're speaking. Um, but, but tonight we wanna ask the question, why is commitment important? Why does marriage even matter? Why is it something that people value, that we as a church, we value that? So we really wanna answer that question. Um, but I just kind of want to give you a, a little bit into my insight on marriage and stuff. I actually grew up in a very broken home. My parents had a very broken relationship, a very broken marriage. I didn't see a great example growing up. There was infidelity, there was cheating, there was abuse, there was all those things. And so for me, like, I didn't see this great picture of marriage. But there was always something in me that wanted to have that committed relationship, that wanted to have more for myself than what my parents were able to have. And I believe that's because we all crave commitment uh, deep, and deep relationships, someone to know us better than anyone else on this earth. But here's the thing, the enemy's out to get marriages, but God doesn't want it to go this way. In fact, God really, God loves marriage. And so I'm just going to jump to two verses here because he created it, so that's why he loves it. Um, so first I want to go to Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible. It's kind of the why we're here. Uh, so we want to jump to Genesis chapter 2, and this is basically the first wedding. So after God created the earth, created animals, man and wife, he did a wedding. So this is kind of his first miracle. So then the man said, this is at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. So right here already, we see wedding, they got married, they were naked, and loving it. So awesome. <laughs> now we're going to jump over to the New Testament, which is when Jesus was walking the earth after Jesus' birth, and we're going to go to John 2. So John was a follower of Jesus, so he was writing stuff down as he followed Jesus. So this is Jesus' first miracle he ever performed. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. When they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time, don't push me. Pause. I love Jesus' mom. I relate to her. I am totally the friend or person pushing people to do things they don't want to do. <laughs> so I just, yeah, pause for Jesus' mom there. Anyways, so, she, but he told her not to. She went ahead anyway, good mom, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stoneware water pots were there, um, used by the Jews for ritual weddings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, Jesus said. And they did. When the host tasted the water that had now become wine, he didn't know what had happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom. Everybody I know begins with the finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, bring in the cheap stuff, but you save the best till now. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So right there, we see that there's a value in weddings. This is where Jesus chose to have his first miracle. Um, although his mom pushed him, Jesus knew what he was doing, and all of that. 
Also, we see in Ephesians that God refers to the church as the bride of Christ. So again, we're seeing that this is important. Yeah, so clearly God has a heart for marriage. God is passionate about marriage. But then I think we have to ask the question, but with all the controversy around marriage, with all the depressing statistics, why would anyone ever want to get married? If you're, like, you're basically signing up for something that you have a 50-50% chance of seeing come to completion. But we believe that if God has a passion for marriage, if he has a heart for marriage, then he has a purpose and he has a reason for marriage. And so um, obviously not every single person in this room wants to get married or has to get married. But uh, if you do, what we want to give you is what we believe, uh, and also based on uh, this book, John Mark Comer writes this book called, called Loveology. And in Loveology, he talks about the purpose of marriage. So what we want to do really quickly is just talk about the purpose of marriage. There are four primary purposes of marriage that John Mark talks about, and we've kind of adapted this material a little bit. But the first purpose of marriage is friendship. The first purpose of, of marriage is friendship. Now, obviously marriage... Or sorry, obviously friendship isn't the, it, only, it doesn't only happen in the context of marriage, right? That's not the only place you can have friends. Obviously, I have friends outside of Roberta. Obviously, Roberta has friends outside of me. Single people all throughout history have had many friends and have lived very fulfilling lives. But it's just one of the purposes and functions of marriage. Uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is the first two-thirds of the Bible, which uh, kind of covers before Jesus came to earth. Uh, it was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there was this word, alap. Alap was a word used for spouse, and directly translated, it, it means best friend or companion. And so from the very beginning of creation, God's heart is that marriage would be a vessel for us to walk through life with, intimately, with our best friend and closest companion. And so your spouse is actually meant to be your best friend. Your spouse is meant to be your closest companion. They're meant to know you like no one else on earth knows you. And they're not just there to help you pay the bills, to cut every bill in half. They're not just there to have kids with and then help you raise those kids. They're there to laugh with you, to cry with you, to support you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to go on adventures with you, and even just to hang out with you, to just be there for you. love you. Netflix. We love hanging out. Yeah, we're just it's hanging fun. out. Even yeah. now, we're just hanging out. It's good. Just hanging out. Um, and in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, which we'll refer to a lot um, tonight, when God created Adam, he created Adam and he was by himself. He was alone. And God said, this is not good. It wasn't good that Adam was alone. And, you know, oftentimes people will say, you know, I don't need the church. All I need is Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need people. All I need is Jesus. But that's just not the case. God created us. <coughs> God created us to function in relationship. God designed us to have friends, to know people. So when Adam was alone, he said, this isn't good. And he created Eve for him, to be with him. And, and before they did anything else, they were just there together. They were friends. She was his companion. They, they, they had someone to, she, uh, Adam had someone to talk to, to just be with. And, and so I would suggest that if you want a healthy marriage, if you want a great marriage, a successful marriage, that the foundation of that marriage has to be friendship. And another function, number two, is calling. So calling. So I love what John Mark Comer says here, that if the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse in on itself. 
and couples who simply exist for one another are doomed to fail. That's what we, we need to look outside of ourselves. And I, I see this with married couples all the time. I talked a little bit, I did a little event last week, I'm gonna do a little event this week, where Mark and I, you know, a couple will be talking to us and saying, yeah, we're getting married, we're not gonna serve in this season, we just need to be married. Um, that's not great advice at all. That's terrible, actually. <laughs> because your marriage, you're called to serve, you're called to look outside of yourselves. The reason that people get bored in marriages is because they sit across the table just staring at each other. And it's boring. I'm like, this, that's selfish. It's not fun. The best thing that Mark and I get to do is this. That's so fun for us, that we get to partner in ministry together, that we get to serve people, that we get, like, it's so exciting. And yes, it's stressful, but anything worth doing is usually pretty stressful, so that's okay. <laughs> I remember when, when Mark and I were seriously dating, I don't even know how long, I think we were just about to get engaged, and he looked at me and he's like, if you want to marry me, it's not going to be boring. <laughs> it's not. He's like, if you want to marry me, you're going to be stressed. We're going to do things that are going to be a little crazy. It's going to be an adventure. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's awesome, because I want you to be on my adventure too, because we're all ingrained to have passions. We're all ingrained to have calling. And you're calling, yes, I'm called to be a wife to Mark. Absolutely, I'm called to do that. But I'm also called to do things outside of that, and that's what makes me an even better wife. 10 out of 10, right? Wife, yeah. He nodded. <laughs> I listened to a podcast called Behind the Scenes. I don't know, has anyone heard of it? No one. Okay, it's a great podcast. Jordan, Jordan's oh, heard of Jordan. it. Jordan. Awesome. Great, Jordan. Um, and it's basically, it's a podcast about this young couple. They were on a TLC show way back, but they talk about their marriage and how they have actually a mission statement for their marriage. Like their marriage has pillars and goals. And I'm like, Mark, we got to have a mission statement for our marriage. That's amazing because that's ingrained in all of us. And so when you get married, don't feed into the lie that you need eight years to be married and then you can start serving because you're done. Like, no. Keep serving, keep living out your calling, and find someone who wants to go on that calling with you. And that's what makes marriage exciting. Yeah, awesome. So the third purpose of marriage is sex. So yes, Adam and Eve, come on, sex. Let's get it out. Laugh if you need. Um, third purpose of marriage is sex. Adam and Eve, yes, they were best friends. And yes, they encouraged each other in their calling and pushed each other into, uh, into the purposes of God. But Genesis tells us that they were in the garden, and in the garden they were naked and unashamed. And I can tell you right now, they weren't just standing around, enjoying the garden, enjoying the view. They were having sex, they were getting it on, they were doing what they were made to do. And here's the cool thing, is God wasn't shocked by it. God wasn't grossed out by it. God wasn't like, oh, warn me next time. I don't want to see. Like, he wasn't like, ah. Like, God designed them for sex. He created sex. And so uh, marriage is, a, is the place where we are meant to healthily discover and express the sexual, <coughs> the sexual side of our humanity. Now, sex is definitely the part of marriage that I think a lot of us get really excited about and look forward to the most. And I think sometimes that's frowned upon. Now, I would say if you're getting married just to have sex, probably a bad idea. You don't want to marry a person just to have sex with them. It's a terrible idea. But if you're excited about having sex and you look forward to getting married so you can have sex, all the power to you. Get excited about that. It's, it's one of the purposes of marriage. It's an important function of marriage. And it's in the marriage relationship that you can have guilt-free, consequence-free sex. And it's the space where you can explore and discover all different kinds of sexual pleasure. So marriage was, <coughs> sorry, I got this 
weird cough. So marriage was designed for sex. Marriage was designed for sex. But one of my mentors, he always says marriage, or he always says sex is the glue of marriage. So marriage and sex are actually intertwined. And God created them to only function together and only work together. So sex needs marriage and marriage needs sex. Now I do want to point out, I find it really interesting how culture has told us and taught us that we are primarily, <coughs> primarily sexual beings. That our sexuality is to be the core of our identity and who we are. But God's word would actually <coughs> disagree. And through his words, he says, yes, absolutely. You are sexual beings, but you are so much more than that. In fact, sex in the Bible is actually deeper than just sex. It's more than a physical act when we look at scripture. It says in Genesis 2.24 that Adam and Eve became one flesh. So the word for one is this Hebrew word for ekid, and it literally means to fuse together at the deepest levels. And so when scripture talks about sex, it, 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 it tells us that we're being joined together at a deep level, at a soul level. It's like our souls are being super glued together or welded together and you can never separate them. So it's a lot more than just a physical act. Yes, it's physical, but it's also deeply spiritual and it's deeply emotional, which is a very different story than what culture has taught us about sex. And the final purpose, number four, is family. So marriage is the start of a new family. When Mark and I got married, it was like, yep, this is our new family. It's me, him, and a pug, and that's our family right now. Uh, for people, that looks different. Some people do have kids. We don't have children currently, um, but we see that that is part of marriage, and that's a great part to have family. And obviously, this isn't a blanket statement of family because there's lots of different forms of family, but that is a purpose. And family is God's heart. Uh, we call God Father. He calls us sons and daughters. He gives family to the lonely. So we see that God has a heart for family, and part of that is in marriage. Um, I'm going to just give a quote from John Mark Comer. I'm not going to pretend to understand how to navigate children in marriage because I don't have them myself. But again, if you have those questions, we do have a panel in two weeks, and Pastor Todd and Pastor Carolyn, incredible couple, have raised children and probably would be able to answer this more. But I like what he says, that marriage is sacrificed on the altar of child-centered parenting. So obviously they think parent, parents exist to make children happy. Obviously your marriage should always be the most important relationship in your family. Um, so that's just important. So now that we've talked about these four purposes, we're gonna kind of shift. Cause it's like, well these four are great, but I can just have these with different people. Maybe for 10 years I have a really good calling with one and then I have kids with another. So what's the importance of it? How do you stay committed in a world that's constantly pulling us to not be? And the thing is, I would argue that the level and depth that you feel with a person if you don't stay committed to them wouldn't be the same. Marriage is, is a gift. And to access that gift fully, you gotta stay in it to fully get that. Like when I look at when Mark and I first got married to now, we're, there's so much more love. I didn't feel, we don't feel the love grow every single day. But when we look back, our commitment has caused our love to grow and to be able to flourish in that and to be able to have that commitment. Yeah, so I think a lot of people would say, well, if marriage and commitment are so great, why does it seem like barely anyone, 50% of people can make it work? Why is it so difficult? And my first answer is kind of sarcastic, but also really true. Anything worth doing is difficult. 
Like anything in life worth pursuing is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to require effort. We kind of have been raised to believe that we can just have whatever we want and have it easily. But that's just not the case. So anything worth doing is difficult. But I think what also makes uh, commitment difficult and tough is that we haven't seen it modeled. A lot of us haven't seen it modeled. A lot of us haven't grown up in the best homes. Uh, maybe you've grown up in a broken home, uh, divorced parents. Um, you just didn't see it. And maybe your parents did stay together, but our parents are actually from the generation that just stayed together because it was culturally unacceptable to separate. So it's not even like their marriage was healthy. They just put up with each other. So we didn't really get to see it modeled for us in our home. So what do we do? Well, the next best place to turn to to, to learn is TV. It's, it's movies. And the media hasn't done the greatest job at teaching us either because what we learn about from romantic comedies in Disney movies although I love these movies and I think Nala and Simba are a power couple, is, is uh, it, it shows us the beginning of a relationship. The whole movie is about them getting to that point where they're like, okay, let's begin a relationship, right? It's, it's the adversity before, but then the movie ends. And so we're taught how to fall in love, but we're not taught how to stay in love. And so I think because we didn't have it, a healthy example in our home, we weren't able to turn to television or, or movies to get a, a healthy view of it, Lots of people will, will just say, hey, this is, this is hard. Mm -hmm. But if I could be honest for a minute, for Roberta and I, it's not hard. It, it's, it's not hard to be married. Yes, we have hard times, and I, I, maybe in the future we might have a, a tough season or a tough moment, but, but being married has honestly been the best. Like, it's honestly such a joy. And, and at first I struggled to even say this because I don't want to seem like I'm bragging and I don't want to set up this like weird idea that like our marriage is perfect because it's not. What I, what, I, what I do believe is that marriage requires effort, absolutely, but, but it's not hard. And, and, and um, I was thinking about this and I realized like marriage is good. Like, like we, we kind of have this view of marriage that it's just, man, ball and chain, you're stuck, signing your life away. Sayonara, no more boys' nights, no more girls' nights, right? But marriage is good. We serve a good God who created marriage for good reasons. Um, marriage is meant to be fun. It's meant to be life-giving. It's not meant to make you miserable. It's not meant to suck the life out of, your, out of, out of you. We weren't designed to just endure through it. It's a, marriage was designed so we could thrive in it, not just survive and get by. So, so it's good, but it does require effort. I don't want to paint this picture that our marriage is perfect. We have to put a lot of work in. But I would say the work, although it requires effort, it's not hard. It's not like I'm struggling to put in the work. Maybe I need certain reminders at times, but, but marriage is honestly, it's a blessing. And there's actually things that you can do in your marriage when you're married to add value to it and set it up for success. And one of the things that you can do to help your marriage be successful, to make sure that you aren't just another statistic, is to pursue, uh, is to pursue. I, and when I say pursue, what I'm talking about is, is you know when, before you were dating. But before you even really met that person, you saw them across the room or you had a quick conversation with them and you just began plotting and scheming, like how am I gonna get them to notice me? How am I gonna build the courage to you know, walk up to them and, and, and say hello? And then you, tonight. Hmm? Some of them are wondering it tonight. Right? Yeah. yeah. Heading to the cruise and across the <laughs> table. Yeah. Um, 
so, so you, you finally build up the courage to talk to them, right? And then when you do that, every word matters. Every word matters. Every moment matters. And then you finally take them on a date, and it's just so special, and you're doing everything you can to show them your best, to impress them, and make them feel special. That's what I mean by pursue and, and the pursuit. But it's interesting because what happens is once we get married, this stops. I'd, I'd even say once you've dated for a significant amount of time, this pursuit stops. But I think what we need to do is always pursue our spouse. Levi Lesko, in his book, Swipe Right, he says, date your mate or the devil will find someone who will. That's scary, but also so encouraging for us to pursue our spouse. Not pursuing your spouse creates a target for the enemy to attack. When you stop pursuing your your spouse, it creates a weakness and a vulnerability in your marriage, and you're open to the assault of the enemy. And so what we need to do is be active in our marriages. We need to be spouses who are active. This is what I learned, that being a husband or a wife is not something you are. It's something that you do. And I actually learned this the hard way. I was at uh, Riverwood hosted a conference a few months ago, a, a marriage conference. And at this conference, I realized that I would go home every day and I would just be a husband. But I wasn't active in my role. I wasn't pursuing. I wasn't like showing up and doing things that a husband does. So I was just like, I'm a husband. I'm good now. I had, I had stopped pursuing. And I realized that I need to invest in my marriage. I need to put energy into my marriage. I can't just like expect for it to be healthy and awesome if I'm not putting in the work, if I'm not doing what I need to do to make sure that Roberta um, feels loved and cherished and respected and valued by me. So I was sitting in this conference and I'm like, man, I just feel like being a husband is like being a brother. Like you just are a brother. You just are a sister. You don't have to do anything to be a brother or a sister. And that's how I treated being a husband. I was like, well, I got a ring. She's got a ring. Husband and wife. But I was like, I learned that I need to actually show up and I need to do the role of a husband. And that's what it means to pursue. And the second one is love. <clears throat> so I'm just going to quickly jump into scripture here. This is in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. This is a very, I think it's read a lot. It was actually read at our wedding. Uh, it's read at a lot of weddings, but I just want to take a second and read it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 11. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in the part disappears. So then he goes on when I was a child, all that. So he kind of just goes on to explain love. And love is a difficult word in the English language because we use it for so many of the same things. So I can go into bed at night and say, oh, I love my pillow and I love you too. That's like a different kind of, hopefully, you have a different kind of love for your spouse and your pillow. Um, but when the Bible was written, it was written in a Greek language, and there's four different kinds of love. So the first kind of love is eros, which is sexual passion. So I can say I have eros towards Mark. Hopefully I do, because you're my husband. I do, don't worry. Um, the second kind of love is phileo, which is a deep friendship. So like brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
and so that's what you'd feel towards a friend. And storge, which is a tenderness, was so apparent towards their child, family. And the fourth kind is agape, which is unconditional, sacrificial, and all abounding. And this is the love that Jesus has for us. And this is the love he calls you to have for your spouse. And this love takes time. You don't just go from, you know, one love to the other. Agape love takes time and commitment, and that's why it's so important. And here's the thing. I always remember the story of when Mark first told me he loved me. We were in his Honda Civic. Honda Civic, right? Yeah. I know my cars. It was so romantic. It was so romantic. <laughs> Uh, we were in his Honda Civic, he was dropping me off. Anyways, I don't want to, it's a long story, but he basically said, I love you. And I was 19 at the time, and I was like, oh, there's no way I could love him more than I do right now. And I remember telling my youth pastor, like, I've just never loved someone so much, and I'll never love him more than I do in this moment. I was so drama, still am. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I didn't realize is that through that, Mark and I would go through so many things. We'd fight, we'd cry, we'd laugh together, we'd have adventures, we'd deal with you know, death, we'd move to Winnipeg, and through all those things, our love goes deeper. And that's why commitment is important in marriage. And marriage, love requires an act. It requires something of you. I love this idea of the transaction. It's like you have a checkings account. And this is in all your relationships, your friendships, your, your family relationships. And every time I say something to Mark, like, I love you, or, you know, I, I do the dishes, or I clean up after him, or something like that, I'm putting money in the account. When I mean, when I make a comment about his socks on the ground, it takes money out of the account. And you do this in friendships too, right? You tell your friends you love them. You go out to coffee, you're putting money in the account, but if you tear them down, you're taking money out. So you've got to make sure you're putting more in than you're taking out. Always make sure you're putting more into your relationships than you take out of them. Because here's the truth, nine out of ten days, I can love Mark very well. He's easy to love. But then there's that one day when he forgets to fill my Jeep with gas, and it's minus 40, and I gotta fill it up. And in that moment, I gotta choose to love him. <laughs> because that's what love is, it's that choice. Um, and so that brings us to the third point, which is choose. And so for choose, I'm just gonna bring us to a story in Genesis. And this again is the first book of the Bible. And this is a story about a man named Jacob. And what we find out about Jacob is that he kind of gets mixed up in some things here, but he basically goes to his uncle's house and so back then, you could marry cousins. It was kind of like Saskatchewan everywhere. <laughs> I can say that. I'm from Saskatchewan. My family's from Saskatchewan. I can say it. Not everyone has the privilege. Um, so he wanted to marry his cousin, Rachel. She was so beautiful. He's like, this woman is so beautiful. He actually cries. It says in the Bible, he kisses her and weeps. Um, so he really wants to marry this woman. And he says to his uncle, give me this woman. And his uncle says to him, no, you can't, like, you got to work for me for seven years. It's not going to be that easy. And so he works for seven years. And it actually says that he loved her so much that those seven years only felt like a few days. So, oh, that's cute. Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of fast forward, and through a series of events, he basically, he marries the wrong sister. I don't know if he got too drunk at the wedding or no. Um, but he does, he marries the wrong sister because he got tricked by the uncle because he wanted to marry the first sister because she was older. And so then he marries this wrong sister. He's like, what are you talking I want to marry Rachel. And we'll just pause. Polygamy is not okay. I just want to say that here, but polygamy is pretty normal back then in the Bible. And so his uncle says to him, okay, you can marry Rachel now, but you still have to work for seven more years. And he does, because he just wants to be married to this woman so bad that he chooses to sacrifice 14 years of his life. That's a huge choice, and that's what marriage is. It's choosing to do things, well, maybe not as drastic, well, maybe drastic as that, I don't know, but to do things like that. 
And I just want to read a quote from Levi Lesko's book, Swipe Right, because I think he actually encompasses this whole idea of marriage and choice so well, and I would highly suggest it. He's speaking about his wife, Jenny, here. Marriage, like long-term investments, require the discipline to stick it out through the ups and downs of the market, trusting that eventually it will pay off. Don't approach marriage like you were a rookie stockbroker, tricked by every hiccup caused by fluctuating oil prices or orange juice shortages. Make a wise decision, then stick it out for the long haul. After all Jenny and I have been through and fought through and prayed through, out of sheer laziness, I would never for a moment consider divorce. We have worked so hard to get to where we are. I'm committed to the blood, sweat, and tears I have in this investment, and I am bound and determined to watch it mature. Leaving her would be like selling Apple or Google stock for an investment to invest in a company that caught my attention on Shark Tank. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> I love that. And I feel that toward, you got to feel that towards your spouse, that you're willing to put that work in, you're willing to put that investment in. And ultimately, commitment is a choice, but it's a choice that reaps so many benefits. It's a choice that reaps the benefit of joy in a relationship, of safety in a relationship, of a haven in a relationship. So that's why we're so for marriage, is because in that commitment, you're unlocking so much more of what God has for you. Amazing. Uh, so as we conclude and, and close out um, week two of this series, uh, in the Bible, there's this book called Hosea. And the book of Hosea is about a prophet named Hosea. And one day he's just walking around doing his thing and God speaks to him and he says, hey, I need you to go marry Gomer. He's like, Gomer? And God's like, yeah, Gomer. And the crazy thing about Gomer is not just her name. Um, <laughs> Gomer was a prostitute. God tells this prophet to marry a prostitute. So he does, he's obedient and he marries this prostitute and then they're married, they, they, they start a life together, they have a couple kids, and Gomer leaves Hosea, and she cheats on him. And he's like, what? And God speaks to him, and he says, go and buy her back. Stay with her. So he's, he's confused, but he's like, okay, God. And he goes and he finds that Gomer has gotten herself into trouble, and he actually has to pay money to purchase her back from someone who, had, who owned her. And then he continues to uh, maintain this, this marriage relationship with her. So as we wrap this thing up, as we talk about commitment, as we talk about marriage, the reason we commit, and, and, and this, the, the, the book of Hosea, it's not just about a prophet marrying a prostitute, it's actually about God chasing after his people. See, God is Hosea and we are Gomer. God made a sacrifice for us. He, 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 he wants to be with us in relationship with us, but we've turned our back on him. And even though we've turned our back on him, he came, that sacrifice, that money that Hosea had to pay, that was Jesus dying on the cross. And we come back. The crazy thing is, is we continue to leave and he continues to bring us back. We continue to leave and he continues to bring us back. And this is the cycle, unfortunately, of God's relationship with humanity. So in all of this, the reason that we commit to our spouse in the context of marriage is because God is deeply committed to us. God is so, so committed to us. It's his heart to be committed. He is cemented in his commitment to us. He will never change that commitment. There's a scripture, Deuteronomy, God is speaking and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, but, but, but God, what if I screw up? God, God, couldn't you fall out of love with me? God, what if it doesn't turn out to be all you thought it was going to be? What if I let you down one too many times? God's like, no, I will, ever, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always going to be with you. And so the reason we commit to our spouse or anything in life, whether that's our careers or our, our children or whatever, is because we're following the example of God's commitment to us. The reason we make vows and we follow through with those vows is because God made a vow to us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we honor our marriage commitment, when you get married, if you are married, when you honor that commitment, you know what you do? You show the world how passionate God is about people. You show and demonstrate the story of, of Hosea and Gomer. And, and you let people know, man, God is serious about people. God is committed to people. He is for people. The craziest thing about marriage, this is bizarre, that marriage is not about you. It's ultimately about God. It's ultimately a demonstration of his relationship with us, of his commitment to us, how he would never leave us nor forsake us. I love that we serve a God who will, who's not going anywhere. No matter how many times we screw up, no matter how many times we fall short, no matter our sins, our errors, our faults, our issues, our shortcomings, he's not going anywhere. So what I want you to do is, I want to invite you to stand. We're gonna sing, sing one more song and we're gonna worship our Jesus. And here's what I want us to worship in. Or here's the, the attitude of worship that I want us to have right now is that we're not just singing to a God out there. We're singing to a God who's here with us right now. And in all your stuff, in all your trials, in all your tribulations, in all your issues, he's never once left your side and he never, ever, 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 ever will. And that's a God who's worthy of our praise. That's a God who's worthy of our worship. Maybe you've never lifted your hands before. Maybe you need to say, oh my God, Jesus, I can't believe you're committed to me and you need to lift your hands. Maybe you need to get on the ground in this moment and be like, God, I just can't comprehend how you would stay with someone like me. I don't know what you need to do, but you need to, in your own way, give him glory and give him praise for his commitment to you forever. So let's worship.